Hey guys, check out this episode's show sponsor, the Sip and Shine podcast, a retro-inspired cocktail podcast party of intriguing tales of histories, scandals, pop culture, and hot mess struggles. From true crime to ghosts and hauntings, and all the topics you enjoy, especially with a few glasses of wine. Find the Sip and Shine podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your other favorite podcast directory. For more information, just visit www.sipandshinepodcast.com. Here is the host of the Sip and Shine podcast to tell you more. Hey, 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 it's Carrie, and I host the Sip and Shine podcast. Despite my 13-year-old sounding voice, I invite you to come listen on your favorite podcast catchers as I chronicle stories of histories, mysteries, scandals, true crimes to cults, ghosts. We probably got your jam, and we aren't judging over here. So, of course, because this is an unscholarly podcast, we add in copious amounts of wine, inappropriate humor, candy, and reality TV references. So come pour a glass and sip with me. Welcome to Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 6, Episode 11, The Haunted Dumas Brothel in Butte, Montana. In 1888, French-Canadian brothers Joseph and Arthur Nadeau invested in developing a large brick hotel on Butte, Montana's East Mercury Street, the booming mining town's entertainment district. The investment would pay off as the hotel was a glamorous front for housing women of ill repute. In the 1870s, ladies would sell sexual services on the main thoroughfare through town and eventually would erect tents and false front buildings to ply their trade. As Butte grew, so did other businesses, and eventually the ladies of Park Street, as they have become known, transferred their work to the south side of town. Butte was notoriously dangerously wild, and gambling houses, saloons, and brothels sprung up to serve the thousands of miners working nearly 18 hours a day in the copper, silver, and gold mines. The Dumas brothers purchased a plot of land on one of the busiest streets that entertained the miners, but their goal was to attract not only the hard-working miners, but also the bourgeoisie of Butte, and so a red brick hotel with all modern fixings was erected on East Mercury Street. Among the hundreds of other brothels, that made up what locals called the Twilight Zone. Joseph Dumas named the business after his wife, Delia Dumas, and registered the hotel with city officials as the Dumas Hotel. But with a wink, there was a new madame in town. The following month, they purchased handmade furniture and fixings for the hotel. The Dumases frequented other dancing halls in Montana Territory, and brought in a number of working girls. In 1890, the Dumas Brothel um, Hotel was officially open for business. The opening night was a success, and guests marveled at the grand design and architecture, noting its two-story level with large skylights and a wooden spiral staircase. 
Drinks flowed freely and music played as guests were entertained by a number of high-class and unique-looking ladies, including one black prostitute who, at the time, was a rarity in Montana. The Dumas Hotel was connected to other businesses via underground tunnels so that high-end clientele, such as city officials, lawyers, reverends, and those about to commit adultery, a crime punishable for up to two years in prison, could visit the high-end brothel without notice. But the hand-carved furniture, the amazing architecture, and well-paying clients could not hide the fact that the hotel held much misery. The girls, often as young as 15, would work in shifts serving sexual favors of all deviant kinds to dirty minors and sadistic city officials alike. The average pay for the girls was less than a living wage, and part of their pay was room and board. Many girls did not have enough for a stagecoach or train ride out of town if they wanted to leave. They were, once in the business, trapped. Drug and alcohol addiction was prevalent, as was disease. Girls would work hours upon hours turning tricks every eight minutes. They would finish with one, wash their privates in the low-hanging sinks in the room, and invite another guest in, hour after hour. Pregnancy was also an issue, as no or very little birth control would have been used. Girls that did discover they were pregnant were ordered to have an abortion, with the procedure usually performed by another experienced prostitute or the madame herself. The cruel and unusual methods of abortion usually resulted in a lot of harm done to the mother, not only physically, but mentally as well. The unborn babies were dumped into shallow graves or mining pits just outside of town. Due to the barbaric procedures, many women who became pregnant bled out and died days later. In these working conditions, it is no doubt that many suicides also took place as the women felt it was their only escape. It is not known what happened to the Dumas brothers, but it appears they sold the venture to another owner some 10 years later, or perhaps they were simply silent partners. Some speculate they were run out of town by another brothel owner, including one that would later be a state senator. In 1900, the Dumas Hotel was ran by Madame Grace McInnes, who had a servant and four full-time prostitutes occupying the cribs or rooms of the hotel. Other prostitutes could rent out rooms on an as-needed basis. The cost for a deluxe poke was 50 cents, with the prostitute making a mere 20 cents as the madame would take the majority of the money. In today's money, that is about $7 for the working girl. As the mining operations increased, and as patrons were typically miners, this low fare was attractive, and the Dumas Hotel needed to expand to accommodate to its clientele. The basement that was used mainly for storage was now retrofitted with a number of small cribs or rooms. In these rooms were the lower-priced girls, those less desirable, and those that would take abuse from the men that frequented the establishment. The Dumas basically had a class system, with the lower class in the basement, the high-end working girls up on the upper floors. The low-end offering was popular by the low-paid miners, and in 1912, the Dumas was expanded again to serve this very clientele. 
a back addition was added that would allow easy passage from what was known as Venus Alley, where street prostitutes offered sexual services. The main floor that was a large parlor was now divided up into cribs to serve middle-class men. Again, the Dumas invited these working girls to use the new addition, the basement, and the ease of access to attract and serve clients. The Dumas's business and those like it were criticized by a number of people who sought to reform the red light district. Reverend William Beterwolf condemned Butte as the lowest sinkhole of vice in the West, and that he saw enough legitimate vice in Butte to damn the souls of every young man and woman in it. However, local businesses benefited and even depended on the support of the sex workers at the Dumas and other establishments like it. The prostitutes would buy their dresses at local clothiers, frequent the city's dry cleaners, and would patronize Chinese herbalists looking for birth control potions and venereal disease remedies. To ensure that their operations were unhampered, the girls at the Dumas would pay the city's police and governance $5 fines. Instead of the closing or relocating of the red light district, the mayor and police of Butte ordered that the women wear longer skirts and high-necked blouses and that they refrain from any indecent exposures. After these ordinances were put into place, the Butte miner reported that nothing was seen in the district except long dresses and long faces. What the women say about the matter is not fit for publication. But by 1910, the people were petitioning Mayor Charles Nevin to shut down the district with the district contributing $2,000 to the city's coffers every month, the efforts eventually died. And many of the city officials, including mayors, police chiefs, and lawmakers, were also clients. World War I and the Prohibition era impelled local lawmakers to initiate a crackdown on Butte's red light district, and by 1917, the district was effectively closed. Signs saying men under 21 keep out were commonplace, and in the next census, prostitution had completely disappeared as a declared profession in Butte. The Dumas, however, remained in operation. In 1925, Anne Valet began overseeing the Dumas for the Nadjo family, and in the 1930s, operations had passed to Madame Rose Davis. In 1940, Lillian Walden and her husband Dick began running the brothel, raising the price for sex to a mere $2. Federal lawmakers ordered all brothels shut down during World War II to help prevent death and disease to young soldiers about to fight. The Dumas remained open, however, changing its business listing as a boarding house. Two large steel doors were now added with a sliding peephole so that no one would gain entry without being identified first. It was now a semi-private club. In the 1950s, rates went up to a staggering $5 with a series of madames in charge. The Nadeau brothers finally sold the operation at this time, and Eleanor Knott became owner and madame. But her time at the Dumas was short. Her husband had died of a heart attack, and with a history of depression... She overdosed on a host of drugs and committed suicide in the basement, leaving the Dumas vacant. Police at the time took this as an easy way to finally shutting down this business, 
and they were working on raiding the Windsor, the Hotel Victoria, and the Dumas simultaneously. Girls would be fined and madames and owners jailed. The raids were irrelevant as girls were tipped off by police and payoffs were made. It was all theater and a way to put a little bit more money into the corrupt officials' hands. Ruby Garrett, a local resident of Butte for some 30 years, had purchased the Dumas. Ruby was not only a local celebrity, but she was known federally as well. In 1959, she walked into a Butte bar with a handgun, pointed it at her husband, and shot him five times as he gambled, killing him instantly. But those in attendance did not know who was pulling the trigger. As Ruby was so badly beaten by her common-law husband, they could not recognize her. Garrett faced a first-degree murder charge, but the jury convicted her of manslaughter. She was sentenced to four years, but only served nine months. Yet people familiar with the case say Garrett was the victim of severe spousal abuse, and that pent-up frustration had reached a boiling point. Garrett would pay police and officials $200 to $300 a month in return for their silence about the Dumas' activities. Under Ruby Garrett, the cost of prostitution was $20, but she would come upon financial difficulties and had not paid taxes in several years. She was charged with tax evasion in 1981, and in 1982, the Dumas brothel was finally closed. In 1982, Ruby Garrett, the last Madame of the Dumas, was convicted of federal tax evasion and served six months in prison. The brothel was closed soon after, but not before a robbery took place there. When it closed, it was the longest operating brothel in the United States, having operated for 92 years long after prostitution was outlawed. The Dumas was then sold to antique dealers and then to a couple who wanted to open up a museum. The museum opened, but the owners were operating it with great difficulties, having using the premises as a hoarding operation. Stories about the Dumas brothel began circulating as those new owners heard disembodied voices, saw furniture move on its own accord, felt cold spots and apparitions throughout the three floors, and soon, paranormal celebrities and ghost hunters started flocking to the derelict building. During the years that followed, many visitors to the museum also witnessed paranormal activity, from cold spots to hearing ghostly voices from the cribs. As the News Channel's Mike Mestis tells us, the girls who work there may have never left at all. High atop the richest hill on earth sits a landmark in Butte's former red light district, the Dumas Brothel. It's a reminder of Butte's rough mining past and a sign of a time when excess was more acceptable. But some say the girls who worked and lived here have never left. The girls that worked here had seen her walking through the building carrying a suitcase. Rudy Getzik bought the brothel in 1990 only eight years after it went out of business. I, I bought it from the last madam. Uh, she was uh, going out of business, and she, she had actually uh, just gotten out of prison. Before buying the building, Getzik didn't believe in ghosts, but his views soon changed. For a long time, nothing happened. And then 
Well, after about a year, things started happening. One time, I, I come and there were some two F4s out in back, and they were laid on the floor in the shape of an arrow pointing towards the back of the room. I don't, I don't know what that meant. A lot of girls worked here, but Getzik says one woman in particular hasn't been able to leave. The Eleanor Knott. Eleanor Knott was the madam in 1955. She planned on running away with her lover, but she was found dead in her upstairs bedroom. Many thought she killed herself by overdosing on alcohol. But Getzik thinks Eleanor is trying to deliver a message from beyond. I rented Eleanor's suite out to a friend of mine who was an artist. And she kept trying to paint this portrait of another lady. She, she got so upset with it that she said that wasn't the face she was trying to paint. So I got the research in it and I took the picture out in the painting down and showed it to the madam, uh, Ruby the madam. And uh, she, Ruby says, well, no, that's not uh, uh, Eleanor, that's Bonita. Bonita Farron was a lady that took over. She got all of Eleanor's money, her Cadillac. I think that Eleanor is trying to tell us that she didn't commit suicide, that she was actually murdered. Getzik says he's not sure why the ghosts are here or what they want, but he says they're not afraid of making themselves known. I mean, the third guy was in here. We heard noise in the back. We were the only ones in the building. We walked in the back and there was a lady walking with a suitcase heading up the stairs. For Getzik, history is still very much alive in the brothel, even if its residents aren't. And it's not always a cozy feeling. I, I, I think it was the fear of the unknown, you know. It's something that, that grips you just instantaneous, you know, and then it goes away. But it, it's an awful fear. In Butte, Mike Mestis for the News Channel. Welcome to the Dumas Brothel. I'm going to take you up to where we have had a lot of paranormal activity. This is the Madam Suite. There was a madam in 1953 that died in the brothel here, and we don't know if it was murder. And ever since then, there has been sightings frequently a woman facing the hallway i have felt her presence personally and it's pretty disturbing seeing somebody walk by when you know you're the only one in the building this mirror just blew off the wall june 7th was an incredible tragedy absolutely ungodly horrifying Hey guys, did something just move? Right. Look at Shadow. You gotta check this out. Butte used to have a huge red light district, and this is the last building of all of them. But the more we start repairing it, the activity just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I've got an item here. There's this mask we found as we were going through the building. Mm -hmm. Either the working girls or the Johns that would come in would wear it. Putting on a costume, it almost allows you to be whoever you want to be at the moment. Hide their identity, do things that you wouldn't normally do. Have you had any other people up in this area that have had experiences? Yeah, our friend Kathleen has also witnessed apparitions in the building. 
So I understand you've had a few experiences here in the brothel. I was up on this floor and I took a look and there was a woman dressed in clothing from about the 1930s, 1940s. And when I reached up to find out what was going on and poke at her, she disappeared. It was frightening and it was it was unnerving. And I had the feeling of overwhelming despair. Well, we're down in the basement where there is the most activity out of the entire building. This is one of the smaller rooms, and they were mainly for the mining clientele or the lower class. There's this mirror that one day just blew off the wall and landed halfway across the room face up. Was it pretty much intact? Is that how you had found it? Yeah, this, this is how it's been since it came off of the wall. There's a lot of superstitions with mirrors. Mirrors have been used for conjuring, and energy can remain with them for many, many years. We're continually finding new things every day. There is a lot of bottles that we have found. too familiar with this drug but it makes you wonder what was going on within these walls this is something we'll have to look into well travis you got a lot going on here i'm going to bring the team in here so we'll do all we can to help you out with this one thank you so much there's a lot of reported activity to dig into here so tonight i will be focusing on the downstairs area with brian while Amy and Jason take the basement, and Chris and Jesslyn will check out the madam's room. Start with that general EMS sweep. I'm not getting any EMF in this room. There actually was one item in here. Which one? Yeah, this one? Mm-hmm. Nothing. if you feel like checking out is uh, where we'll start. We'll sit down the other end there. shadow form. Was that something paranormal? I'm not sure right now, but we have to dig in and find out. Yeah, start down here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's weird. Are these balls? 
bottles right here. Yeah. Just bottles for them finding stuff as they're renovating. Opium? Mm -hmm. Oh, a lot How interesting. Oh, wow. Holy crap. Who knows all this stuff? I have no idea. There's so much stuff in here. shaking like crazy. It scared the crap out of us, and we have no idea what could have caused it. I think you should probably call your dad. All right. What do you got? You gotta check this out. We just pulled this out of the drawer. Okay. It's dated 1917, first of all. It's a love letter. Immediately after we read that, no joke, the bed started shaking. It's addressed to Sarah, so I'm thinking maybe this was her room. Uh -huh. This is the girl that worked here. Sarah? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's very interesting. You know, I want you two to dig in tomorrow. Let's see what we can find out for our tomorrow night's investigation. Given the fact that we found this letter last night during the investigation, and it mentioned a miner, Amy and I are going to go meet with Chris Fisk. He's a local historian who knows a lot about mining in the area. We're uh, doing an investigation at the, uh, the Dumas brothel here in yep. the Butte. We found this letter. You know, the thing that strikes me right off the bat, uh, it's when it was written. What do you mean? June 7th, 1917. Um, the day after this letter was written, um, it was an incredible tragedy for this community. Largest hard rock mining disaster in the history of the United States. On the morning of June 8th, they were in the process of putting electrical cables down inside the tunnels. One of the larger electrical cables had come loose. Their light source was a carbide light that sat on their helmets. So it's an open flame? It is. It's an open flame. And it had touched it. And the second that it hit that, it just took off. Before all was said and done, you had 168 dead miners. Absolutely ungodly horrifying. And the letter... Jay says that he's going to quit the mine and he's going to take her out of the brothel. Was that common? I think it was very common. A lot of the gentlemen that had come here were single males. I think a lot of them felt that they could get solace in the red light district and the Dumas brothel was one of the uh, highlights for those places to go. One day following this letter, this gal's life, prostitute or not, probably changed forever. 
How did the tragedy of this mining accident affect the girls at this brothel? If relationships were formed, then shattered by this disaster, that pain may still linger even after death. Tonight, I'm hoping to find some answers. Jess and Brian will investigate the first floor. Jason will man the monitors. And Chris and I will cover the basement. All right, well, when John and I were in here last night, up there is where we saw this shadow form up in the top left. I moved over here to try to get closer to it. Some of it could be light play. Cars driving by. Normally I would be down with that. I'd uh, totally be on board with that theory. It was stationary. Okay. So a car moving by would have light, but there was no light. It was almost like you were looking into darkness, and then you saw a deeper shadow. I'll go check out the madam's room. Oh, I'll try the obelisk in here. I like the obelisk. The obelisk is a very interesting piece of equipment. It measures the energy in the room, and it actually converts it into words based on a dictionary that is built into the device. System ready. I feel like something was looking down at me last night from the from the balcony. Were those the girls? Was that you? Do you know who that was? Cry. Cry. Did something happen to you? Pain. James. James. Is it James? The, the letter is signed J. I'm wondering if this was Sarah's room. I want to try a couple of experiments in here. If this was her room, I'm going to see if this ties in in any way, shape, or form. So what I'm going to do is put that letter right in there middle of this just to see i'm just curious all right i'm using this as a trigger item do an evp session yeah sarah was this your room did this letter mean a lot to you were you here waiting for someone to come get you we're just here trying to help you and Travis is just trying to preserve history. What? I just heard something. I heard a woman's voice. Oh no. We're just here trying to help you. And Travis is just. Wait. It was like right next to my head. That was really creepy. Wait for what? Waiting for your boyfriend to come back? What the hell was that? Wait for what? Waiting for your boyfriend to come back? What the hell was that? Hey guys, did something just move on the cabinet behind you? This little bottle kind of fell over over here. Yeah, I didn't see you bump it or anything. No, we weren't even near the dresser. I copy that. Why did that fall over? I don't know. Opium. I'm not quite sure about it, but I'm sure the hell gonna find out. 
I need to find out about this bottle. It has alcohol written on it, has opium on it. I called out a, a local licensed drug counselor to see what he could tell me about this bottle and what it was used for. Nice, I haven't seen these outside of a museum. Laudanum. Laudanum was a very popular drug in the 1800s and 1900s for pain control. Cough. They even gave it to babies for toothing pain. One of the most common things that it was given to women for was actually for menstrual cramps. They even used it for abortions. They'd drink enough to where they would hopefully abort their child and not overdose and die. Mostly working girls. Wow. So if someone's trying to commit suicide, that would be a good substance to take. Yeah. It was a quiet way of doing it. You didn't have to let anybody know. It's really private. Now, what would be considered a lethal dose? As little as three teaspoons could kill. That's how easy it is to overdose on this bed. We find this bottle in this area. We find this letter learning about Sarah. Could it be that she's actually reaching out, trying to make some type of a connection? I'm looking forward to getting to Travis and sharing some of this information with him. Trav, good to see you again, buddy. Got quite a bit to share with you. On the first night that we're in investigating, Jason and Amy were down here. I'd like to show you this letter that they stumbled upon here. What we thought was significant about the letter was that it seemed to be from a minor to one of the girls that worked here. The date on the letter is June 7th, 1917, and what we learned that on June 8th, 1917, there was a major explosion in the mines here in Butte, and 168 miners died. And several of the deceased have the letter J that started their first names. The letter is to Sarah, who we assume is a girl that worked here from J, who was a minor. I think it's a possibility. We were able to uh, capture an EVP that I'd like you to hear. We're just here trying to help you. And Travis is just trying to... That's pretty clear. Travis is just... Travis is Uh-huh. Right now, I'd like to show you a piece of footage that we captured during our second night investigation in here. I want you to take a look right up over here. Oh, wow. And it startled us. Oh, my gosh. Laudanum was very popular during the 1800s and 1900s. Um, it was very potent. And because of its high opium content, it was used medicinally and for abortion and wasn't uncommon for it to be used in suicides. Overdose could happen with as little as three teaspoons. So what I feel can be happening here is that Sarah fell in love with one of the minors. He basically made a commitment to her to marry her and take her away from here. Uh, is he one of them that was killed in that huge explosion? Did Sarah actually take some of this to end her life? Travis, we're never gonna know, but you're reopening this whole area down here. And sometimes you're gonna activate old dormant energy that could be sitting for quite some time. The bottle, that is what could have possibly killed her. And it has a lot of negative energy associated with it. So what would you like to do? I would love for you to take the bottle, but I hope that we can bring some closure to Sarah and hopefully her deceased loved one. Okay. Sarah's tormented spirit may still linger here, 
But I'm hoping that acknowledging her pain will help her find closure. And she can pass on and join her lover for all eternity. The previous owners had, like previous operators, failed to pay taxes on the property, and city officials were demanding payment. One of the owners had a criminal past involving drugs and was clearly suffering from mental health issues and drug abuse, or a combination of both. On the Ghost Adventure show, this particular individual was noted by viewers tweaking out on drugs. But of course, Zach Baggins does not acknowledge this, but instead he blames the ghosts for these strange interactions. Sadly, Michael Pichet died in 2018, leaving his business partner to hand over the building to city officials, who put the building and its contents up for auction. The historic Butte building that once housed one of the country's longest operating brothels, now owned by a couple from Forsyth, Montana, city officials confirmed the building of the former Dumas brothel on East Mercury Street in Butte was bought at auction by Dave and Charlie Prince of Forsyth. Couple planned to renovate the building, open it up for tours, as well as use the reputed haunted building for researching the supernatural. I did tours through it, as well as being able to um, to do some ghost hunting in there. Some have ghost hunting. I'm, fr- I'm friends with some uh, sort of famous ghost hunters, um, and I've already spoken with a couple of them, and they're pretty stoked about the possibility of being able to come up here as well. Well, if you're going to find gold, it could be in that. <laughs> city put the building up for auction after the previous owner went four years delinquent on property taxes. You can visit the historical Dumas brothel in Butte, Montana, both day and night, and take an in-depth tour with the new owners, who are currently cleaning up, repairing, and maintaining the building. And it appears it is in good hands, as they are focusing in on making the building historically accurate. On our tour in the upstairs left bedroom, I heard a distinctive female voice say, Can I help you? There is a great deal of emotion, sadness, contempt, and wonder one feels when walking through these old hallways and peering into the cribs. It was both exciting and horrifying for those who once lived and visited the Dumas brothel, and clearly, both these emotions are felt by visitors today. The museum is located at 45 East Mercury Street in Butte, Montana, and tours are available for those interested in the historical or the paranormal aspect of the old building. Tours range from $5 to $10 and last between 45 minutes to over an hour. Because the brothel has changed hands, much of the contact information, websites, and social media pages are outdated and have been abandoned. Please use the current information here to retrieve information and schedule tours. Their website is www.dumas-brothel.com and their phone number is 1-406-351-9922.